Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We're a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. Although the pandemic causes us to adjust our methods, our message stays the same. God, through Jesus, is making all things new. and 
And in the preceding verses of chapter 15, his finds illuminated so well in the vine's heart, the disciples are told to abide in him so that they can be fruitful, yeah. to keep his commandments, to abide in his love. And he then gives them a new commandment to love one another. And loving one another as he had loved them would be the signature or identifier that they and we belong to Jesus. And so, as, as and I, I pray that you all are reading along um, with us as we're going through this, because these chapters of John are just amazing. Like, you can literally feel and sense and hear the Lord's passion and love pouring out of the pages. And, and John, even going back to, to John 13, 1, he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, verses 34 and 35, new commandment that we love one another chapter 14 he says if you love me you will keep my commandments then he goes on to say the one who loves me will be loved by my father I do as the father commands so the world may know that I love the father abide in my love love one another are you getting the picture here as I have loved you there is no greater love than that someone laid down his life for his friends you are my friends he says and then in verse 17, he says, these things I command you, that you love one another. So Jesus clearly wanted them to be established in him, established in his love, and in love for one another. Because in verse 18, he's making a big transition. He transitions from establishing them in, world, in, in love to preparing them for hate. Wow. And specifically, hate by the world. And I want to read John 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they don't know him who sent me. Wow. And so again, as we are continuing the, the Epiphany series today, um, I have the privilege of trying <laughs> to cover John 15, verse 18 through 16, verse 11. And we're going to use for a theme today, the hate you get. The hate you get. So the word hate appears eight times in eight verses. And hate is a really, really strong word. And I'm like, why does Jesus choose such strong language? And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, you could get in major trouble for telling somebody that you hated them. So we see the Lord's intentionality that he's like pounding the table on certain things that he doesn't want them to be surprised. He says and uses the word hate. All right, hate means, I want to give you some definitions, intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or sense of injury, extreme dislike or disgust, to detest, especially to persecute. I also want to define the word world in this context. So in this context, in this setting, the world refers to the anti-God world system 
system that opposes all that God is and all that God is doing and include, is inclusive of all people who embrace this anti-God world system. So Jesus comes into the world to save it because he loves the world and is rejected and as a result begins to separate his own from the world. Not because we're good, not because we're special, but just because he chose to in love. His crucifixion then lays bare this dividing line, right? It makes it real clear. You either love the world or you love him. And his resurrection demanded at that point that everyone make a choice. He demonstrated who he is, and then he says, you get to choose. So Jesus had been experiencing hate from the world, from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the system, right? His entire time on earth, right? And as a great leader, I imagine that he really protected his disciples. The Pharisees didn't really come for them. They came for Jesus. And actually, they're still coming for Jesus. But we see that, like, Jesus handles them in a way he modeled for the disciples how they were to deal with this hate when it comes at them. And in John 15, 21 through 23, it says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. So the world will hate us because of Jesus, because we're not of the world, and because they don't know the Father. So I imagine, again, like, as the disciples are hearing all of this, like, at first, he's telling them, he's establishing them in love, and then he begins to talk about all this hate and persecution they're going to check, catch. And then he says, and I'm leaving. So you can just imagine how the disciples are feeling, but Jesus is like, I got to get this through to you, because I'm going back to the Now you are light in the world, so walk 
as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, and see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. So again, the Lord is showing us in his word how he expects us to live, and you can see kind of why I was being rocked this week, because I'm like, man, how much am I prioritizing Christ-likeness in my life? So he's preparing us to receive this hate. And oftentimes, when we feel that rejection, we feel that aversion, we feel that strong dislike or strong disdain, it's easy for us to take it personal. But Jesus says it isn't. Why? Because the ultimate target is him. And this is what empowers us to endure unjust hate, persecution, and shame is because we understand that it's not about us, but it's for his glory. Houston, we have a problem. 
So there's so many verses where the Lord uh, just draws this out. Matthew 24, 9, he prepares them. 1 Peter 4, 14 through 17, talks about being reproached for the name of Christ and how we're supposed to glorify God in the matter. And something interesting in that passage, he puts alongside, uh, don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's business. I thought that was really interesting that busybody was right there next to murderer. But Jesus, again, he wants us and he wanted his disciples that he loved so much to be prepared, right? Hate is coming, so be prepared. And so in John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, it reads, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. To keep you from falling away. So many times when our life isn't going the way that we expect and things aren't working out according to our plan, we want to quit. This isn't working, so we want to check out. He says, hey, hate is coming. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So he's saying to us, hardship, suffering, even death, even persecution, all these things are a part of what it means to abide in me. It's a part of what it means to count up the cost of discipleship, to take up your cross, yeah. die daily, and follow me. Yeah. And the only way that we can do that successfully is by abiding in him, abiding in his love, and loving one another. Yeah. And so as we begin again to talk about D groups, shameless plug, community is not optional, but it's absolutely vital to our spiritual health. This is why Jesus created this community for them and told them, yeah, everybody will know that you belong to me when you love one another the way that I have loved you. There's no way we can live like this, that we can show up the way that Jesus showed up in and of ourselves. We need one another. We need the, the love, the support, the accountability, and we need the Holy Ghost. Speaking of the Holy Ghost, he says, help is on the way. Hate is coming. The world is not neutral. And I think this is where sometimes we get tripped up because, again, it's the, the world and sin is so pervasive. It's like if you breathe in the air, you take it in. And it's so easy for things that are anti-God, anti-Christ to become a part of our daily life that we have to be so intentional about prioritizing Christ, about getting into his word and spending Volumes of time, not 10 or 15 minutes a day. Because if you want to live like Jesus, he says, our, the word says, our thoughts are not, our thoughts, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. Well, how do we learn his ways? It's by getting yeah. into his word. Yeah. So John 16, verses 7 through 11, I'm reading this in the message. Our helper, right? Our helper is coming. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and out of their control. We 
we don't get to set the definition for righteousness, and that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. So he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. Help is coming. They would not have to endure the world's hostility on their own because they could not. The Spirit would fulfill Jesus' promises. Yeah. Greater works. Yeah. Add to prayer. Power to bear witness, right? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is coming. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us the courage and the character of Christ to stand and bear witness even in persecution. And so before we can effectively bear witness, our identity and authority must be established in him. What I love about Jesus is he just demonstrated this uh, authenticity and authority that was so compelling. Like people dropped everything to come and hear him speak because they had never seen anything like it. Why? Because his identity was firmly established in the Father. He says, I come from the Father and now he is establishing the identity and authority of his followers. In John 15, 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you that you might go and bear fruit. In verse 19, he says, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. There's more references. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Some of these are very familiar. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. I mean, there's scriptures that go on and on and on. When we are established in him, that's when we can effectively confront the world system. Because if we are in the world and also of the world, if we're a part of the world system, then we're not, we don't have the authority to confront it. So how are we to engage? What does that look like to be in the world and not of it? First Timothy 2, I encourage you to read, starting at verse 19 through 26. I'm just going to briefly reference, reference verses 24 through 26. The Lord says, this is how you engage the world. You can't be quarrelsome, but you have to be kind to everybody. You have to be able to teach. You have to patiently endure evil. You have to correct your opponents with gentleness. I feel like we need to uh, teach a course for Christians on how to engage on social media. And the reason why we do this, why does God require us to do that? This, because it says God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. I think sometimes we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our warfare is not carnal. Our warfare is spiritual. So even though it may be a person that is before us, that is contending with us, we are not to come down to the level of engaging with that person tit for tat. Again, as, as I was 
scriptures and as, as I've been, the Lord has just been transforming me and, and bringing me to repentance, right? Like, do we really believe we need saving? Do we really believe that we need Jesus? Like so many times we want to come to God with our terms and conditions and our stipulation as if he's not the Lord of glory and we are but dust in his sight. I think sometimes we forget that the word tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That you and I and your kids and my kids and your neighbors and my neighbors, our colleagues, our co-workers, they all need Jesus. Yeah. They all need a savior. Yeah. And we forget that this is a matter of life and death. We bear witness in the face of hate and the face of persecution to the glory of God that we might win some. Yeah. Wow. Good so I want to briefly give some examples of persecution and what that looks like. And, um, and as I lift up these examples of persecuted Christians, it's not for us to glory in humans or put them on a pedestal. Because just like in the Bible, for every hero, uh, the Bible, what I love about the Word of God is like it doesn't sugarcoat, right? Like it tells you of all David's victories and, and all the glory and all of that, but it also tells you of his errors and his mistakes. Why? So that we could see ourselves and know that God, that we're human, we're fallen, we need him, and that he's able, even in our mistakes, to restore us and bring us back to him. So, I want to lift up these examples today so that we can see some elements of Christ-likeness and hopefully will encourage us. So, the first example is Rachmiel Friedland. Uh, Rachel Friedland was a rabbinical student and Messianic Jewish teacher who survived the Holocaust. In 1940, 500,000 Jews were packed into a small walled-off area of Warsaw. By late 1944, of the 500,000, only 5,000 had survived. And they survived hiding in cemeteries, in abandoned churches, and in the houses of friends. And Rabbi Friedland says, by God's enable, enabling, I secretly slipped into the ghetto and was able to speak comfort to a few of the Jewish believers still alive. Other Jewish brethren heard the message and believed in Messiah Jesus. Wow. My friends in the ghetto insisted that I leave. They said that if God had preserved me thus far, I would be a witness to the woes they now experienced. And at the end of the war, I could tell the story of their suffering. I was probably the last to leave the ghetto. It was only shortly afterward that the Germans obliterated the entire Jewish area. Wow. Another example, missiologists estimate before the Korean War there were approximately 13% uh, of the population of North Korea was Christian. Today it's less than 2%. And a woman who grew up in a family who was a part of that 2% talked about how they worshiped and had Bible study on Saturday evenings in their small, in the back of their small apartment. And they would put um, sheets or something over them in order to try to muffle the sound so that they wouldn't be discovered. She talked about how they were able to get this Chinese Bible that they treasured so much. And her mom actually translated the Chinese Bible to Korean by hand. 
were discovered and taken. They don't know what happened to him. He might have been put in a labor camp. He might have been killed. But at that time, um, he was taken and they never saw him again, even to this day. But her and the rest of her family were able to escape. And she talks about her dream now is to go back and to be able to preach Christ to wow. the people of North Korea. That's what she prays for. Wow. Another example, two pastors in Sudan were arrested for preaching Christ. And uh, talks about how the cells were so overcrowded that people had to take turns take sleeping in ships, right? There, there wasn't space to sleep, so they took turns sleeping in ships. And rather than complaining about the discomfort, one of these pastors testifies that, wow, this is awesome. This is a perfect opportunity for us to preach Christ. And so in there, in the overcrowding, they preached Christ and people were receiving Jesus. And so the jailers said, okay, that's too much. We're going to move them to death row. And guess what they did on death row? They preached Christ and they led people to Jesus. And as a result, they eventually were released because they were tired of them preaching Christ and leading people to Jesus. My next example is one who might be um, a little more familiar to us. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the night before his assassination preached the message, I've been to the mountaintop. And he begins the message imagining this conversation with the Lord and, and the Lord allowing him to stand and at the beginning of time and to survey all of human history. And he says to him, Martin, if you could choose, you know, which period or era of history you wanted to live in, then what would you choose? And he goes through this whole discourse and he finally says, strangely enough, I choose a few years in the second half of the 20th century. And he referenced how messed up the world was. He said, the nation is sick, there's trouble in the land, confusion all around, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. So we know that Dr. King and those who are associated with him were attacked by police dogs, they were sprayed with fire hoses, they were, he personally was harassed and surveilled by the FBI, he experienced multiple threats and attempts against his life, and he ends his final sermon with these words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. Yeah. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And we know the very next day he was gunned down on the balcony of his hotel room. My final example is of the apostles. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. The sick were getting healed. And the priests and the Sadducees were getting heated. They were indignant. And they put hands on them 
keep preaching. So the Lord breaks them out of prison and the religious leader starts to threaten them. Didn't we tell you to stop all this Jesus talk? Blaming his death on us? And I love this iconic statement. The apostles respond, we ought to obey God rather than men. And guess what? They kept preaching. And the religious leaders were furious and wanted to kill them. And there was one wise man among them. Bible scholars, you know his name, Galileo. And he said, leave them alone. Because if this is a man, nothing will come of it. It will die off. But if this is of God, there's nothing you can do about it. So they beat them and sent them on the way, and the, the, the disciples rejoiced because they were found worthy to suffer shame for his name. And the chapter ends with this, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Daily they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So again, I'm, I'm not the greatest communicator, I'm not the greatest orator, but I hope and I pray that the Spirit of God is compelling you as he's compelling me, that we have to get back and focus on the mission. We lift up these examples to show how someone can be so full of God's Spirit that everything, even and especially suffering and persecution, becomes an opportunity for the
Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.